Anibuju, hello, from the fourth floor of Moore Hall. I'm Aurora Ray, today's guest host of Past Deadline, bringing you the biggest headlines from Central Michigan life. For more than 100 years, the student-run media company has been the voice of the campus community. This week, we have a special guest on the show to talk about her recent experience at the White House. Melissa Isaac is Gijwasid, or Protector of the Young. She works at the Michigan Department of Education's Indigenous Education Initiative and is also the founder of the Saginaw Chippewa Indian Tribes Project AWARE program. Isaac was invited to be a guest of First Lady Jill Biden at the State of the Union on March 1st. Today, we're here with Melissa Isaac to talk about what that experience was like. How are you? Hi, Aurora. I'm very uh, honored to be here. I'm doing well today. I understand you met First Lady Jill Biden and U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy back in October. What was the dialogue following that panel, and how did it go from Dr. Biden's visit in Mount Pleasant to your trip to the White House? That's an interesting question um, about the dialogue after the visit. There wasn't a whole lot of dialogue after the visit. I know once a lot of the guests dispersed and uh, people were on their way, she came out from behind wherever they had her holding area. And I just happened to still be standing there and um, her and Dr. Murthy were, um, I was just talking to them um, and thank them for coming to our community. And um, she was so warm and um, really kind. Uh, She's, I don't know, she hugged, when she hugged, it was like an anti-hug and it was just warm and it was very genuine. And so the whole time I'm talking to her, she's holding my hands, just like looking at me and, Um, just really tuned into what I was saying to her and um, yeah so I thanked her and thought it went told her I thought it went well and um, she complimented Dr. Murthy and um, she noticed how he uh, during the course of the discussion was able to talk to the younger children that were there and not a lot of really uh, you know polished people have that ability but he was very good at it and so you know, I also said, yeah, you, and my daughter was one of them, one of the, one of the children back there. And so I thanked him for um, being able to talk to her in a way that she, I don't know, he was just very warm and um, chat, like kid friendly. And so she took right to him and just engaged with him. And, you know, that, that was a lot for my daughter and um, to be able to do that. So I thanked him for that. And that was about it. We just talked about how things went and then they hurried her out and that was the end how it went from that to the State of the Union, um, sh- it surprised me. I, it's, the story's kind of funny because I was on a work call and I saw on my cell phone, Washington, D.C., and I thought it was for my son. I, I signed my son up for a camp there this summer, a, a, a leadership camp. I'm like, did I fill out all the paperwork? I think I did. And my colleague said, well, do you have to go and answer that? I said, no, no. I said, I'll get to them later. <laughs> so she... We finished the call, it was probably two hours later, and then they call again. I said, okay, I'm gonna face the music and let them know I'll you know, fill out the paperwork. And I answered it and I said, hi, this is you know, so-and-so from the office of the first lady. And my face, my husband looked at me and I put my cell phone on mute and was like, oh my gosh. And I recognized this voice from the many conversations we had before. And I said, oh, hi, how are you? You know, good to hear from you again. And he said, oh, thanks. He said, yeah, the reason why I'm calling today is 
um, Dr. Biden would like the honor of you being um, an invited guest to the State of the Union address. <laughs> I put it on mute again and same thing, oh my gosh. And my husband, like, just, he must, he knows me, obviously. We've uh, been married for a long time. <laughs> he pulls out his laptop and just starts typing whatever, you know, all of the details. Because after I hung up and was in disbelief and shock, um, I said, wait, what did he say? What day? What's going on? And he said, I have it all written right here. And that's kind of how that happened. And um, I did ask when he called, because I recently switched, prof you know, my, my professional title from working with the tribe to working um, with the state of Michigan and or for the Michigan Department of Education. And I said, in transparency, you know, I don't work there anymore. I'm not in that same role. And he said, oh, no, no, that's fine. He said, she just really made an impression on her and she wants the people who have a vision, they see a problem and they have the ability to provide leadership to have solutions for that problem. He said, and that's you. And I said, okay. Like I was just like fangirling so bad. <laughs> I was like, she wants me to be there. She remembers me. So yeah, that's how that happened. Um, I asked what my role was. Do I have to do any speaking or, you know, and he said, no, you just have to show, show up. We'll take care of you. Um, this is her thanks to you. And, um, you know, we're, we're happy that you'll be there. So that was how that went down. For me, it just came out of nowhere. So who went with you on the trip? Like I mentioned, I was caught off guard and he, I don't know what his title is exactly, but her, the coordinator, he said, well, we can pay for you, your transportation, your, you know, your, your accommodations, but we can't pay for anybody else. Will you be traveling with anybody? You can bring one person. And of course, I, I don't know why. I'm like, oh, not likely. It'll probably just be me. <laughs> you know, because I was just, I don't know, in, in the state of mind where I was in shock, like excited, all of those great things. And um, so then I hang up and I said, why did I say that? <laughs> why didn't I ask to bring anyone with me? This is like a big deal. So I started thinking about it. I said, well, when I talk to him again, because I didn't have any, he said, I'll send you a confirmation email, which airport, you know, we want to be as convenient for you as we can, what's closest. Um, so I gave him some ideas and uh, he said that he would send me a confirmation. So I thought, well, when I hear from him again, then I'll ask about the plus one, which, you know, he, he sent me the information. So I, at that point, we're texting. And so I said, hey, about this plus one, I think that uh, maybe I can find somebody to come with me. You know, is that still a possibility? And he said, yes, um, just, just so you know, they have to pay for their own flight and, you know, they can stay with you or they can get their own hotel room. And I said, okay, great. And then it was a matter of finding somebody on such short notice. That was on a Friday evening. And I was flying out on Monday, the day before the State of the Union. And so who can take the time off work? And do they have families and afford a ticket that quick of a turnaround? And, you know, of course, I asked my mom first. And, well, my husband. But I kind of knew the answer to that. He's like, no, I have work and the kids. And, you know, so I kind of knew the answer to that. I asked my mom. Oh, and I couldn't tell anybody. He's like, I know you got to tell your family. He's like, but, you know, you, you can't tell anybody at this point. You can't make it public. Um, he said, and if any media get a hold of you beforehand, let us know who it is. And I said, I am not talking to anybody. <laughs> like, okay, I won't. Um, but then, you know, I started going through my family members, and my mom was just so proud. Um, she was all teary when I was telling her about it. And she's like, I can't wait to call your dad and tell your dad. I'm like, tell him not to tell anyone. Like, so it's like, don't, I'm telling you this, but don't tell anyone. Um, 
But she said, you know, you're going to have to find somebody that's going to be able to help you make sure you eat, make sure you stay hydrated, make sure you're where you need to be at a specific time. Mm -hmm. Because I can't do that for you. She said, I will be so um, starstruck and proud and emotional. And you'll be watching me on top of all of the other things that are going on. She said, did you ask your sister? And I said, well, I will. Um, So I asked my sister and... She was trying to make all these plans in her head, and she said, oh, we got to go shopping. We got to find something to wear. What are you going to wear? And um, we had taken the day to go shopping on Saturday, just the two of us, and we were talking about it further, and she would have had to make a lot of accommodations to make that happen as well. And she said, is there anybody that you know that doesn't have, that can just go at the drop of a hat? And so um, I started thinking about the visit here and who helped me here. Um, who arranged things for me, who didn't have a family that they had to find, you know, make arrangements for, who, you know, had a flexible work schedule where, you know, they could just drop everything and, and come with me. And um, I did end up bringing my current colleague, um, Jennifer, and she was just, she, she she loves politics. Have you watched, uh, what is that movie, the president, the American president or like she was into all of that and I, she was just excited and are you sure you don't want to take your mom? And I said, yeah, she's the one who told me to find somebody and she, and she, her uh, circumstances are that she can drop everything and go. And so she did, she made it happen. And I said, here's the assignment. You just got to make sure I get where I need to be. And you know, you aren't able to come with me into the state of the union. They're not going to pay for your stuff. And she was just like, I will be happy sitting in a hotel you know, with a beverage, watching you on screen, um, looking for you on the screen. And I said, okay, great. You know, so she was just going to be happy to be there. So that's who ended up coming with me was a a current colleague from from our team. So walk me through the trip start to finish. How did you get there? How long were you there? And what was it like? All right. So the trip from start to finish, uh, I got the call on Friday. Well, it was earlier in the day, but I actually picked up the call Friday uh, late afternoon. That's where I got the invitation, and um, Saturday I went shopping uh, for something to wear, because really, what do you wear to the State of the Union? So I started Googling. I was YouTubing old State of the Union just to see, like, what the dress was. And so I, you know, went back a few years and said, okay, okay, I can I can do that. Uh, my sister and I went shopping on Saturday, and we went down to uh, Somerset Mall down by Detroit. And so we went there pretty fancy there never been there before I was like mind blown like wow I didn't know that there were places like this close to where we live so we went in the mall and um, I picked out a few things um, because I wasn't really sure what I was going to wear I knew I had to represent um, indigenous people nobody put that on me but I I just knew Um, and I do that everywhere I go so if I am wearing just a plain dress I will wear big statement earrings or um, some something um, that I'm that I'm proud to show and represent. So I went and I picked out um, a, almost like a Jackie Kennedy, uh, like a dark green knee-length dress and a little overcoat that went with it. And I thought, oh, I could dress this up, some heels. And I picked out like a cream color because one of the I think it was last year or maybe the year before, all of the women wore white. Um, as you know that's significant to to women's rights and um 
So I thought, well, maybe I better, I'm not in the know. I didn't get the memo on this. I don't think they'd send it to me anyway, but you know, if they're gonna do something like that, then I'll have that available and maybe somehow I'll find out. So I bought a cream color, head to toe, beautiful outfit. My sister, um, she has good fashion sense. And so we picked that out and I thought the same thing, like, oh, I could wear the, these earrings or that. I wasn't 100% sold on the outfits that I had picked out though. So we did that, we get home. Um, Sunday comes around and I got my itinerary and um, just more planning and was leaving the very next day. Um, my, I flew out of Saginaw. It was just regular. People have that question, like, what did you fly in, you know, business class? Was it? No, I was in coach and I was, I don't remember that it might have been Delta Airlines. Still didn't have my hotel information and the, the agenda, like what we were going to, like, what do I got to do? Is there, are there things that are going to be happening? Um, and so I had a layover in Chicago. From Chicago, I flew right into um, Washington and then met my colleague. And we met up, we're like, we're so excited. So then I check my phone and there's the email. It was like perfectly timed. There's the email, here's where, here's your hotel. You know, keep your receipts for transportation. Cause I was like, are they gonna have like a limo? Is there gonna be somebody with a sign waiting for me? It was pretty humble. <laughs> we got, we landed, we had to catch an Uber. Uh, so we Ubered to our hotel, which was, uh, I think it was like Washington Hilton or the Capitol Hilton. And it was a standard room. It was nice. Uh, my friend, she got her, her own room. And um, so we check in, uh, go to our rooms. And I said, oh, I have the agenda. Cause then that popped up. And so she came to my room and we were looking at it and she about fell over. And I said, there's a reception at the White House right before, and you're invited. And she, that was like her dream. It was both of us, really. But just seeing her expression, like she was just so floored by that. And oh, it's a good thing I brought a lot of outfits because I thought I was just going to be sitting in this room watching you on TV. And um, I said, yeah, we're doing this. All right. So um, the first thing we had to do on Tuesday was, that was the day of the State of the Union, was get a COVID test. But that wasn't until like 4 p.m. And then at um, 5.30, I believe, we had to meet in the lobby and there were eight invited guests total because I, I found that out on YouTube when I was searching who the guests were and you know what they wore. Um, there were eight of us. Um, and so everybody uh, met in the lobby and then there was a shuttle. And then I recognized a lot of the people from the team that came to Mount Pleasant when she visited in October. And so it was nice to see them again. They're like, hey, Melissa, how are you? It was Good to see you when we're at Z-Boing and happy to have you here. And, you know, so it was really, I don't know, they really did um, take care of us and make us feel important. And I think that was one of the biggest things um, that when people ask, like, what was the best part? The other people that were there, we were just in awe of each other and they were all there for their own reasons and really um, important reasons. And yeah, so, um, Maybe we can get into that a little bit later, but we got into the shuttle and went to the White House <laughs> to the reception from there. Um, at the White House reception, um, the, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of that orchestra. Is it the Marine? They're all in the red. Marine something orchestra. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was an orchestra playing and they looked awesome and 
you know, we were approached with uh, trays of, you know, would you like some water, champagne, red mm -hmm. wine, white wine, you know, just, you know, people with uh, trays of food and drink. Then we went into the blue room and that's the one with the balcony, like the iconic one where they're out there. I know. I was like, what are we doing in here? Can I pull out my phone? Like, I just felt like there were probably so many rules and there, there weren't. Like we just could make ourselves at home and go in and out of any of the rooms we wanted to um, within, I mean, I'm sure there were rooms that were off limits, but um, in the vicinity that we were in, it was wide open. Uh, we walked in, there were name tags on the um, little tables, really beautiful centerpieces. There was a TV there with a countdown of the State of the Union. And so we're um, eating, I had crab cakes, they were delicious. Mm -hmm. And then all kinds of hors d'oeuvres and, uh, you know, like I said, the drinks were flowing and um, we got pulled out one at a time to take official White House photos on our own. And then when we came back in, I remember sitting there and um, they just put dessert on the table. And um, my colleague said, she's behind you. And I was like, what? And I heard, hi, I'm Jill. And I turned around like, yeah, we know who you are. <laughs> like, we know who you are. And um, she was with the second gentleman, um, Kamala Harris's um, husband, Doug. Yeah, and she, he told us to call him Doug. That's why I can't remember his last name. It slips <laughs> in my mind because we were just calling him Doug. Um, but we all stood up. She introduced herself, introduced um, Doug, and then went through and, you know, was greeting everybody. Um, we were all gathered in the back um, to take pictures with her. So we took pictures with her and, and with um, Doug. It just sounds really <laughs> disrespectful, doesn't it? Like, just to call him by his first name. But... Um, yeah, so we um, took pictures with both of them, and then she's like, I got to go get my coat. And then she takes off, and they're like, all right, everybody, all the invited guests, we're going to um, join the motorcade to go to the Capitol, and um, all the plus ones are going to stay here with me. And his name was Carlos. He was very uh, kind of, uh, he has a he has a role, but he's kind of the, um, I don't know, the, like the coordinator or the caretaker of mm -hmm. those events when they're hosting mm -hmm. things. And so he stayed back with them and we said bye to our plus ones and we got in a shuttle and we were in a motorcade going through Washington, D.C. and all the roads were blocked off and you could see people out there with their cameras and their phones. I was like, I had my Snapchat on. I'm like, I can't believe this is real life. This is so wild. Um, because I've seen a lot of motorcades go through. You see it on TV, right, when they're, you know, hustling through the city and that was us. And so we pull up to the uh, Capitol building and we were told to turn our phones off before we got in there. Um, so we had to power down. We went through in a bunch of different hallways and up three flights of stairs. Um, and then that's where the uh, first lady's viewing box was. Yep. So we went in there and I'm like, I see this on TV all the time. Like, I can't believe I'm standing here in the middle of all of this. And there were, uh, our seats had our names on them. And so we uh, found our places and um, there was a little bit of time beforehand for us to really engage with each other, the invited people. And I was fortunate enough to sit behind the um, Ukrainian ambassador to the United States. Um, first name is Oksana. Yeah, and you know, with everything going on in Ukraine, it just, I knew she was sitting across from me on the shuttle, but I didn't say anything to her. I didn't, what do you say? You know, with everything that's happening over there and 
there aren't a lot of people who, I don't know, I, in a good way that make me a little bit afraid. That's how I know they have a lot of really good power, like good energy that they give off. And I'm like, whoa, I'm stunned in the silence. Like, I don't know what to say to her. And so I was thinking about that on the motorcade. And then we get there and I'm right behind her. And I finally just said to her, I said, I knew you were sitting across from me on the shuttle, but I didn't know what to say to you. And she said, you know, I, what is there to say? And I said, yeah. I said, but I do want to say um, that the civilians, the people of your country, like your people, are so brave fighting for their sovereignty, their land, their home. And as an indigenous person living in the United States, I understand the importance of that fight. I said, and I just, you know, I know a lot of my people are praying for your people and, you know, a good outcome for, for all of you. And um, she said, she appreciated it. Tell your people I said, thank you. And um, she said, that's an evil that we've lived under before historically and we will die fighting for our country before we let it happen again mm. and then um yeah i was just thanked her for you know um being here and i uh, we hugged and then it was you know time to take our places but i was just happy to share that moment with her that was um something i'll never forget you know especially the times we're living in and you know so talking to the other people that were there those are the kind of people that were invited and they were all amazing and we were all wondering everyone was really humble i can't believe i'm here you know um, i can't remember her first name but i'm just a nurse i'm like you're you were a covid nurse when all of this started happening and that's why you're here like you're amazing and you know just I'm, and i'm wondering the same thing like oh my gosh i can't believe i'm here with all of these like really cool people and after we all started talking, like we were all wondering now, like how could I be here with such amazing people? And um, it was like a really, another really uh, memorable moment was just meeting them and hearing their stories and the good work that they're doing and their part of, you know, our country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there was a lot of standing, a lot of sitting during the State of the Union that I didn't anticipate, but um, that I don't remember really paying attention to, like when you're watching the State of the Union, if you've ever watched it. Like, yeah, they do sit and stand a lot. Um, okay. Yeah, so it was uh, really um, interesting to, to also see, like, the Supreme Court justices of the United States, and they all come walking, and I'm like, what? They're, like, right here. Um, you know, I saw, I was looking around to see if I could recognize anybody, and, mm -hmm. you know, I recognized um, AOC, and the squad was there, yeah, the, and they were sitting up above like we were, but, you know, off in the distance. I'm like, oh, that's the squad. Like, I know who that is. The Supreme Court justices, um, Mitch McConnell, Ted, McCru <laughs> Ted Cruz. I was looking for Bernie, couldn't find <laughs> Bernie. I guess he was doing commentary for some, some somewhere else. Um, of course, I saw uh, Deb Holland, the Secretary of Interior, and... Mm -hmm. I noticed her right away. She was, I was looking for her first. Um, and there she was in the front row with the rest of the, you know, cabinet members. And oh. yeah, it was pretty, um, you would just see these people on TV, you know, doing their political things and, you know, to be sitting in the same room with them. Like, wow, this is where a lot of really important decisions are made. Right. 
Yeah. So then um, president comes in and, uh, you know, everyone's clapping and um, he came in and gave a state of the union. Um, as soon as that was over, we went back down all those stairs, went through different hallways and we were waiting in this back room and we were, they had monitors on where he was at, like shaking people's hands after the address was over. And so we were waiting for him um, to take pictures with us, which were like, awesome. Like, we didn't know that, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, while we were waiting for him, we thought, somebody asked, can we have our phones out now? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can have your phones on. So we powered up our phones. And one of the gentlemen um, that was an, a guest said, is anybody else's social media blowing up? And... Mine finally kicked in and, man, hundreds of notifications, like friends requests on Facebook, follows on Instagram. Nobody's found me on Snapchat yet, so I'm, I'm happy about that. But just like all those different social media platforms just took off and um, I said, oh my gosh, yes, they are. What do I do? Like, I've never, I, the um, consequences, not in a bad way, but the unintended like unforeseen things that would have happened afterwards. None of us really thought about. We were just honored to be there. And so we were, um, one of the younger, um, Josh, the 13-year-old, got invited to be on Good Morning America the next day. And yeah, it was just this whirlwind of things that happened afterwards that none of us saw coming, but, you know, we were happy to be there. So we that happened. We took some selfies together. Um, and then they said, okay, he's here. And so we got in line and um, one at a time, we got to go up there and take a picture with the with the Bidens. Mm -hmm. And um, I haven't seen those yet. I'm waiting for those still. Um, I got my White House photos. But yeah, I walked up there and I don't, it's just one of those moments where you're like, what is happening? And then you think like, wait, did that just happen? Mm -hmm. um, but I had to walk up there. I was like, oh my gosh. I said, this is such an honor to be here. Thank you for having me as a guest because I know you've met people all over and I'm just really honored. And he's like, well, Melissa, we're honored to have you here. It's our honor. And I'm like, he knows my name. <laughs> the president knows my name. Like what is happening? Um, but yeah, he was just really, just like you see on TV, smiley, perky. I'm like, you know, and um, Dr. Biden's there and she's warm and, you know, uh, loving and took a picture with them and then we went out in the hall and waited for everybody to get done. Got back in the shuttle, went back to the uh, White House to pick up our plus ones, and they had a fabulous time <laughs> while we were gone. Um, they got to watch it in the theater. There's a theater in the White House, and they had a little snack bar with popcorn and more champagne and candy and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. So they came on and they were, you know, had been drinking wine for about three hours, <laughs> so they were pretty happy. They're planning a reunion, apparently, um, outside of the White House, obviously. But, um, yeah, they were like, oh, we saw you and this and that. And, yeah, it was, it was a good time. We went back to the hotel, and um, we all met up there um, in the lobby. And people um, who had been watching it saw us pull up, and they're like, oh, there's the boy. There's Josh. We saw your skirt. Like, they were just, how was it? And... So after we talked to a lot of people and I called home and, you know, and talked to my mom and everybody else, uh, it was probably about 2.30 in the morning and my flight was at 11 a.m. the next day to fly back home. So it was, it was quick, it was uh, amazing, it was nothing that 
I ever dreamed in my life. It's not something you think about, right? Like someday I'm going to be invited to the State of the Union. Um, I know I've never thought that. Maybe people do, but it just, it just still blows my mind. Yeah. I, I can't believe I was there. I can't believe I got invited. And I was trying to think, you know, make sense of it in my logical mind. Like, what moment did she decide that I was going to be the one to visit? Was it when we went on the tour in the museum? Was it because I felt like that was very like I was in hostess mode and oh, hello, welcome. We're going through the museum. Here's this. Here's that. And making sure that, you know, everything went as planned. Um, but I didn't really. In my head. Um, there wasn't a moment where I'm like, oh, my gosh, like we could be best friends. You know, like anything like that, like, you know, how you kind of have those moments with people where you just kind of know you click. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it was at the end when we were talking about the kids and the family and debriefing about things. I don't know. I won't ever know. I won't ever ask, even if I was given the chance, just like, thank you for the opportunity. So after all that shopping, what did you end up wearing? Well, as it turns out, I was leaving my house at 1230 to catch my flight in Saginaw. And my lifelong bestie, my best friend, um, I call her my sister, she's a dressmaker. And she makes a lot of my um, traditional wear for like powwows and, you know, things like that. And um, she's a really good artist. Summer Peters is her name. And she said, hey, have you left for the airport yet? And I said, no, no, I haven't. And she flies in um, at 12.15 <laughs> and she has this beautiful ribbon skirt with an uh, Ojibwe Anishinaabe floral design on it um, with a matching lace, black lace shrug. And she said, here, try this on. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. Um, and so I tried it on, it fit like a glove and I'm like, this is it, this is the one. Um, that's why I wasn't happy with the, I mean, I, the other stuff was nice, but it just wasn't, I knew these aren't the ones, I'll wear them if I have to. Um, so I had a lot of choices, but I ended up wearing what she made me, um, her and my niece, Memi Wants, because, um, I mean, what could be more special than having somebody that you love and um, have shared your life with to, you know, make make what you wear. And so I, got, I received a lot of um, positive uh, feedback from Indigenous people all over the United States and Canada. Ribbon skirts are uh, like a universal um dress and really becoming uh, like a political symbol for different causes. Mm -hmm. So for example, like our murdered missing indigenous women persons, you know, you'll see a quite often red skirts with designs on them and you know exactly what that means. And so she wanted me to represent Anishinaabe people because, you know, represent. So that's what I ended up wearing. And when people saw it, they're like, hey, a ribbon skirt, like they saw it right away. And I remember the first status when I turned my phone on in my uh, news feed was, who's the auntie in the ribbon skirt? <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like, you guys are, you saw that? And they were like, you were in every shot. Because you can't see yourself when you're in the State of the Union. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, you were right behind Dr. Biden. And you could see her skirt. And we knew it was a Native person. And I got a lot of thank yous for, you know, like I said, you don't ever dream one day that you're going to be there. It's nothing you'd imagine. But when you see somebody who looks like you, who really um, represents, you know, indigenous people, then you do see yourself there someday and you know that that's a possibility. Um, so it just gave a lot of people hope and 
you know, pride and, you know, happiness that I was there and why I was there, you know, for our kids. So that was really, it worked out the way it was supposed to when she came flying in 15 minutes before I was leaving with this skirt. So that's what I ended up wearing. So you mentioned um, a lot of like kind of unexpected things coming after um, the State of the Union. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else that happened that you didn't expect to happen? I think, I mean, even doing this podcast <laughs> is one of the things, one of the types of things. I've done some interviews, but I was also really selective in who I talked to. Um, I like to focus on the reason why I was there, um, which is our children, our youth. Um, I did actually, one of the things that I was shocked about when I was coming home, um, I had to lay over in Chicago again and, you know, I'm getting all these texts and calls and I did get a text to say, uh, Hey, can we, you know, one of the boards I sit on, can we use your photo and give you some props? I'm like, yeah, 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 that's great. And they said, yeah, um, this is our favorite article. And so I hadn't had time to read any of the articles at that point. And so uh, my colleague sent me this really nice one. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. And he said, and the ones on Fox News are like, we just laughed about it. They're trying to paint you as, you know, this um, really leftist, what, crazy person. And I was like, what? Fox News? I even hate to acknowledge their name, but, <laughs> you know. And I was like, okay i'm like oh i guess i got a lot of reading to do so i hadn't even read it at that point well then i get a call from a former colleague with the tribe uh they're trying to get a hold of you they asked for your information and they sent us an email and as you can forward it to me i said but i'm not going to address it because again i don't even know why they're trying to get a hold of me well then i get another call hey melissa it's um so-and-so with you know native news online that's the name of the public uh, the outlet um do you have a minute and i'm like i have like 40 minutes and then i have a 9 and 10 news interview because they want to know how it goes so i'm in the airport doing this i'm like i see this on tv like i'm one of those people and so i you know all right we call and he let me know what was happening so apparently um i was accused of being um a proponent of teaching critical race theory in the classroom to elementary kids. And I was like, what? And I started laughing. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's, so he sent me the the link for the article. And um, I was like, I guess I have to read this. I said, I don't know how to respond to that. I said, because I don't know really what they're talking about. I said, but really that's a distraction from why I was there. And that audience, um, if they were praising me, that, that particular outlet I wouldn't feel good about myself mm -hmm. because I don't stand for what they stand for that's mm -hmm. not a secret um, I said but I'm okay with that like as long as my people are proud and as long as our kids are proud and I represented well um, and he said okay he's like well you let us know how how you want it you know because they were ready to like mm -hmm. you know put out the story I'm like I don't want to engage in that like mm -hmm. it's just you know it takes away from the real reason why I was there so yeah, so I finally read the, one of the articles, and it was it was an attack on Dr. Biden's guest. Like, it was an attack on her through me. Mm. Um, she invited somebody who, whatever, and um, pulled up some, you know, social media stuff. And 
I'm like, okay, so where's the lie? <laughs> like, where, where's the lie in my post that you shared? Um, so I stand behind what I said, and I did not say um, only because as a doctoral student, I've had to read critical race theory and a lot of different theories. And this is the first time I've seen him as a doctoral student. I think it's just a, a vehicle for fear. It's just fear-inducing and really unfair. But, um, yeah, so that was one of the things that I was like, oh, interesting. So that happened. Um, but then just doing, like, the uh, – oh, <laughs> I went to a conference last week in D.C. again, education conference. It was a Na uh, National Indian Education Association conference. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting at the table, and um, – somebody mentioned it because like they didn't know it was me and the lady was like was that you and my colleague's like yep yep the one who went with me she's like yep that was her she went she's humble she won't say it and oh my gosh can I get a picture with you I want to share it with my class and I'm like okay all right yeah I can do that and so I took a picture with her and then people started to talk and I took a lot of pictures with people and they just talked about how proud they were and it was really kind and um Another lady said, have you had to sign any autographs yet? And I'm like, what? No. <laughs> like, no. You know, I'm thinking like, no, and that's not. And so we were just, and then I see her little um, notebook slide towards me. And she's like, can you sign my notebook? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what do I write? Like, just my name? Like, I've never done this before. So I actually signed an autograph. It was so, it was, it was cute. Um, took a lot of pictures and. You know, people just, you know, total strangers there that were happy. And, you know, again, the, the comment was, when I saw you in your skirt there, I saw myself in that space. And thank you for representing. We're so proud of you. Um, you know, keep up, you know, the hard work for our kids. And so those, it was mostly positive. Um, like I said, the other stuff was a distraction to take away from that didn't have anything to do with me. But was an attack on our uh, leaders, you know, our, the, the leader of our country, you know, his wife. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't give that any, uh, I didn't breathe any life over that way. So, yeah, that was a, a consequence that I didn't foresee. Um, but the, I mean, I still haven't gone through all the friends' requests on social media um, or the requests for um, interviews for people that I don't really know. So, mm. yeah. All from being at the State of the Union. Um, yeah, I really don't think I had my head wrapped around the magnitude of what we were doing. But everyone's like, you know, people around the world were watching. You're talking like 60 million or more viewers and at a historical time. And it was their first in-person um, State of the Union. It was their first time hosting anybody at the White House um, since they got into office. That's why they were extra caring and extra extra gracious with us, I think. So you mentioned earlier that you recently changed positions. Mm -hmm. um, can you kind of tell me what led you to do that? So changing positions was, oh gosh, one of the hardest decisions mm -hmm. I ever made because I tell this story quite often about being a teacher, an elementary teacher, and working for my community, my tribal community specifically. Now I thought I was going to be this teacher forever. Like I would have a student and then eventually I'd have their children. Mm -hmm. And if I was fortunate enough, I would have their grandchildren. I just saw myself being that teacher mm -hmm. um, only to realize that there are a lot of things that um, educators need to do a good job and they don't always have them. Mm -hmm. I thought that's unfair. 
you expect us to do this job, but we don't have the things we need. And so I um, got out of teaching and wanted to continue to work for my tribal community and got into administration so that I could give teachers what they needed to be successful um, teaching our students. So I did that for a long time, and that's, you know, what led to, you know, um, realizing that we needed support with mental health and social-emotional learning. Um, and where Project AWARE came from was from that experience, um, being a teacher, that whole experience, being a building administrator, being a education the uh, director. And so all of those experiences culminated to this, uh, this project being recognized by the White House and the First Lady, prompting her to visit and so on. And um, I had been offered a few times other opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, no, I'm supposed to be here. This is where, this is me right now. And then after all of this happened, um, and at the same time I was working with the team I'm a part of now on behalf of all indigenous learners in Michigan, not simply for my tribe. And there's nobody there who looks like them, who is one of them, um, advocating for them or trying to make change, transform systems for them. And that's really, to me, um, where our voice is more important is at the table. And um, I thought about it long and hard and I thought, well, I think now is the time for the change. And, you know, along the way, too, I have to give so many kudos and um, to my team, my former colleagues at, in the Tribal Education Department at the Saginaw Chippewa Indian Tribe. They are phenomenal, smart, strong um, people who have a big heart for our students. They're not there for the accolades or the, the pay or, you know, things that, that don't matter. Their heart isn't it for our kids. And it took me a long time to build a team of people that understand our students mm. and look at them, you know, with a, with a uh, growth mindset and, and an asset-based lens. Because oftentimes, if we're even noticed in the first place, we're looked at as people who are inferior or they look at us um, like our knowledge systems aren't as important mm. or aren't as um, significant. And so I had a, finally had built a team of people who shared that vision, like, no, there's so much goodness here. And I thought if, well, first of all, I guess take a vacation for the first time in over 10 years and be okay and not get a hundred calls. And I'm like, whoa, this is, what I've always wanted. Like, this is what I've always dreamed of for our students. And so we got that. And I knew that if I left, it'd be okay. Mm. That the work would continue. Mm. And that our population here in Mount Pleasant with our tribal education system is a very small fraction of a bigger need, a greater need um, for the 98% of our students who attend public schools. So 98% of um, indigenous learners in Michigan attend public schools. And I thought, okay, I'm going to move here and I hope I can help them. And I hope I can make the change that they need to have a better experience in schools. And so I just, it was, it was time. 
all these years, I'm like, nope, 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 it's not time. One, even six months before that, it wasn't time. And then things going the way that they did and me having the team in place that um, the kids needed, I felt like it was time. And so in January, I made the transition from the tribal education director for my tribe um, to the Gijwasad for the Indigenous Education Initiative um, for the Michigan Department of Education. And listening to myself and trusting my instinct on all of that and, you know, obviously a lot of, you know, spiritual things too, praying and, and all of that and listening and trusting in that, I'm where I'm supposed to be right now. Thank you for sharing that. Um, congratulations and good for you. So what are you working on right now? Kind of what are, what are you focused on um, regarding youth and mental health um, and education? So the work for youth mental health has not stopped. Um, actually, I was just part of a listening session um, with the um, Department of Education, um, the U.S. Department of Education, and they had a lot of questions regarding um, social-emotional learning and challenges and um, things that people are doing right now in their communities, across their tribal communities across the United States. You know, what are you doing in your community that you have seen work? Um, they had, it was a series of eight questions and I did mostly listening so that I could give my input in writing um, because we did learn a lot of things from Project AWARE that we didn't anticipate because it was so new at the time. Yeah. Uh, so Project AWARE happened pre-pandemic and was in the works for years. We you know, were awarded Project AWARE and then a year in, the pandemic hit. And I can't help but think, where would we have been if we didn't have it? If we didn't have all of that emotional support in the works already mm -hmm. um, for our, our three uh, collaborators on that grant. So I'm very thankful for the timing of everything. Um, and it also was because of the timing, we were proactive with a lot of the things that people now have to be proactive about. So we always knew that it was there and it was underlying as far as like uh, mental health and social emotional um, learning and support. However, it wasn't a priority. It was important, but it wasn't like the number one thing. And then the pandemic hit and now we're having that conversation, like the fallout from all of that, which has been so extreme and really exacerbated what was already existing. Mm -hmm. And so now people are having these conversations and trying to figure it out. And so I hope to be able to provide input at that level um, to say, here are some things that, you know, we learned and here are some things that, you know, that worked really well. Um, because what that's going to do is um, at that level, uh, it's my understanding that that's going to be what frames the funding to be able to, because it costs money, right? Mental health supports cost money. And, and time, um, accessibility, all of those things. Um, so I took part in that yesterday. Uh, and so I'm gonna you know, write uh, my answers to those questions and um, send them in. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is, um, you know, at the federal level is uh, the White House releases, um, they're not memos, but they're just these announcements about their priorities like press releases almost. Yeah. And one of them lays out that that's a uh, priority for the White House is, you know, social emotional learning and um, laid out what that could look like. Mm. 
and so I was really happy to see that. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, one of one of the things, and really just we're all so different. Every tribal nation is unique in structure and practice, um, ways of being, knowing, living, and so it's really important for me to talk to each of the tribes and make that connection. And so I really want to work on that um, in the coming year because I'm pretty familiar with everybody, but not in this capacity. And so um, I need to hear from them what their need is because their need is not the same as what our need was. You know, some are, some tribes are more rural and accessibility is a big issue. Um, and so I just want to, there's just so many components to social emotional learning and, and mental health, um, uh, school culture. That was another question that was on um, the listening and learning session yesterday. Um, what can we do to make, ensure that our learners have a better experience in the school, in the, in the, in the school buildings themselves? And just hearing, hearing what I know is what I know to be true, um, but just hearing it from all over, from Arizona, from Alaska, from Oklahoma, that their students are experiencing similar, um, you know, negative uh, school climates, um, you know, from kids getting their hair cut unwillingly to school mascots and, you know, all of those really harmful things that make kids not want to be in school. And so, um, yeah, the work continues in, in a curriculum. Like there's just so many components. There's a lot of good work to be done. Um, there's enough to go around and um, I'm one person and I have a great team. Uh, my hope is that once I have those conversations and, you know, they know that they can trust me with their children. My community trusted me with my children. We did so many good things, um, but children are sacred to us. Um, and so I really have to do the due diligence and visit them in their communities and um, advocate for whatever their needs are. So you talked about different ways to kind of create a better experience for Indigenous youth um, in education. How do you think we should do that? I know you were talking about placing kind of Indigenous teachers in the classrooms and stuff so that kids are able to better see themselves. Um, what like specific ways do you kind of think we need to improve to help that climate. So improving school climate is going to look different in different districts. So for example, um, a school district in uh, Metro Detroit is going to look different than a school district in the Upper Peninsula. Um, so it's going to be unique. There are components of school culture that um, can be like best practice or universal. So for example, you mentioned hiring and recruiting. Um, there, are, there is research that shows students who um, see themselves um, in the school in a multitude of ways, staffing is one of them, improves outcomes. Seeing themselves accurately and respectfully in the physical environment also has an impact. So if you go to a school that, you know, has, you know, you know, let's say they have, you know, um, your ancestors, or you know, um, Deb Holland or Sharice, um, the Congresswoman, um, on the on the walls and, and honoring them that way makes you feel pride. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel welcome when you walk in there. Mm -hmm. But if you walk into a building where 
There's negative imagery and stereotypical cartoon-like figures almost mocking you when you walk in. How are you supposed to learn there? That's another way. So taking a look at mascots, imagery, um, the negative, and there's research on that too. You know, if people need evidence, if they need research, there is evidence and research that shows how that has a harmful, you know, effect on our students. Accurate history um, and being inclusive of the peoples, the original people of this land and knowing, you know, whose, whose land was this? Whose land do you stand on? Land acknowledgements are really good for that, but what are we going to do with them? And so uh, um, my hope is that through curriculum, across the curriculum, not just history, because we're still here, we still exist, um, we still function in society every day, making sure that that's included across, across the curriculum. You know, our, history is a good start. Social studies is a good start. And to, you know, continue to build on that. Um, so curriculum, staffing, um, the physical space, and really building a relationship with the tribal nations so that you know how to best serve their students and their children from them. They're the experts. You know, there's often this disconnect that, you know, we go through these beautiful programs and we become teachers and we're the experts. And we are to a degree. But when we're getting to know somebody else's children, aren't they, you know, it stands to reason that they are the experts. And how do we know that if we're not having those conversations? Mm -hmm. And so I really encourage um, school districts to, you know, the, the nearest tribal community, the nearest tribe, engage with them in a meaningful way. Not to check a box or a list to say, oh, yep, I made a call, I didn't get a call back, check, we, we tried, we did that, because that does happen quite often. Um, survey your student population because I know that um, one of the things that we're told quite often is that, oh, well, you know, there's not, you know, well, we're rural. We don't have any Native students. I think you'd be surprised if you really got to know your families. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're in a lot of places. Um, so that's, that's another way. I'm trying to think if there's anything else, mascots, relationship. And I think I would start with that first is the relationship part because uh, that matters the most. I wanted to ask, what do you think the importance is of having these issues acknowledged on a federal level? The, the issues of uh, the indigenous people of the United States, tribal nations in the United States, they have to be addressed by the federal government and not because like we think they're so important because we, we know they're important, um, but the federal government actually has uh, legal trust responsibility to tribal nations in the United States um, and for them to neglect those trust, those responsibilities to our to our tribal nations is, you know, it can't be, it you know, legally, ethically, it just it just can't be. And so I don't think that I haven't seen it where. All right, well we're not going to do anything with tribal nations. Well, yeah, you are according to these treaties. This is what you're going to do. Um, the government has yet to make good on all of those treaties, um, but it will always be um, tribal leader and federal government, tribal nation, federal government conversations about the issues that are happening um, in what we coin as Indian country, um, the indigenous tribal nations of the United States um, because of their responsibility to us.
so given kind of what you said about um, schools and kind of like their inclusivity of proper native representation, how do you think CMU is doing regarding inclusion? Okay, so I this is I speak for myself. I always say that I don't speak on behalf of all indigenous people. I don't speak beha on behalf of you know the Michigan Department of Education or my even my team. Um, I do have strong thoughts about um, CMU. I think there's been great progress, and I and I will also say that this is very controversial among indigenous people too. Mm. Um, some people are you know yeah this is great, but when I'm walking through campus and I hear. Uh, Hey, um, hey, I'm a Chippewa. It's almost like when somebody you're walking through and you think you, somebody says your name and you turn automatically because that's your identity. Your name is your identity. And that happened to me multiple times. And I'm like, oh, I gotta remember where I'm at. And so just walking and hearing the, that word Chippewa, not in a derogatory way even, but it's just, it's, if you're, if you've experienced it, then you understand and that's the closest um, way I can explain it is if you're walking in a public place and somebody calls your name and you look and they're not talking about you at all. Wow. Um, and in this case, you know, my uh, tribal identity. And so that's taken some getting used to. I'm not a fan at all of um, getting emails to tell me how I can put on war paint appropriately for a football game. But I know that our tribe endorses that, and that's a decision that the leadership, you know, that they support, and that's okay. Um, like I said, I know it's controversial, but for me personally, it just does not sit right with me, um, and it doesn't it doesn't make me feel honored. Um, I've gone to a couple of football games, um, didn't have any like unique experiences there. It was you know there for football, and that's what happened, and. I do remember it when I was younger, though. That's why I say there's been progress. I remember, like, the macaroni um, breastplates and the headdresses and the, you know, the little toy tomahawks and stuff. It was, like, back in the 80s. Like, this was, like, a while ago. So to go from that to where we are, I'm always a – I love progress. I do. Um, but those are just the – two examples of the things where it just makes me cringe like oh we do have a long way to go but in some people's you know estimation it's okay and um you know i still choose to come to cmu for um, the education and you know the the development that i've received um as a leader mm -hmm. um that have led me to that so the quality of education i mean i stand behind that the the instructors, the degrees that I have for me, I have my I have my undergrad, my graduate, and now I'm getting my doctorate here. Um, so it's a good school, um, but just because it's a good school doesn't mean that everything is perfect. So how can we follow the work that you're doing at the State Department? That is a good question. I'm so new. Um, well, my role previously um, was as the, like I said, the Tribal Education Director. Um, but also all the tribal education directors in Michigan get together um, and they are the Confederation of Michigan Tribal Education Departments. So they come together and they're really the driving force behind all of the work. And so I was on that side of things. The, uh, my team, the Indigenous Education Initiative, is there to support their endeavors in any way we can you know, leverage resources. Um, we also abide by... Um, the, there's a tribal consultation policy um, that was ordered by the governor's office. 
And so we co-constructed that with the Michigan Department of Education, and that's the model that we follow. So we co-govern. Um, that's that was important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anything that you see them doing is their work, and I'm there supporting them. And so they have uh, a Facebook uh, page. They have a website, cmted.org. It's case sensitive. It's all lowercase, but it's those letters, cmted.org. Um, and so there are any kind of announcements or anything that they do um, where they're supporting them to get all of those things done. Um, and uh, they're a great group of uh, very dedicated Indigenous educators who um, are working very hard for our Indigenous learners. Um, so if they are shining bright and they are, then that means we're doing our job. Mm. It's not about having us be at the forefront at all. We're like, tell us what you need. Tell us how we can help. How mm. can we support you? Um, you know, what do you think of this? And having those, you know, really truthful conversations about what we think will help. Or if they come to us with something, hey, we're, you know, not getting this data or we need the data to be better or, um, I'm trying to think of some other things that you know they could come to us for that may be a more state systemic issue then we will together work to solve that problem or come up with solutions for it melissa miigwech thank you for being here with me today we look forward to seeing your voice more in our coverage and your work with tribal youth thank you again for coming on to the podcast and good luck with all of your work You can follow the latest from CM Life by following us on Twitter, liking us on Facebook, or connecting with us on Instagram and Snapchat. Subscribe to CM Life's podcast channel on iTunes and Spotify. The print edition of CM Life is published every other week and is distributed throughout campus and Mount Pleasant. Thank you for listening and supporting CMU Student Media.